0: Welcome to Take Care. This
1: is the podcast that helps you understand the background and habits of change makers. Host Rish Sharma and his guests give you the wisdom to help you learn a little more and get a bit better every episode.
0: Hey everyone, our guest is Sharon Sharivasa, the king of and the CEO of Kingston Lane, the execution platform for real estate. Sharron has also been featured in publication journal, success magazine, the Huffington Post, and Forbes. Welcome Sharron, really excited.
1: Awesome, Rishi, thank hey, for having me and I think uh, most people don't realize Doing this takes time. Doing this takes effort. Doing this takes resources. And you don't really need to do this uh, show when, but you're doing it anyway to add a lot of value to folks. So I appreciate what you're doing and the, the, you know, the work you're doing to serve folks. So thank you for having me on and looking forward to sharing the best I can.
0: All right. Appreciate that so much. Pretty kind words. But um, I really want to get the audience pumped up and really excited for this interview. So I'd really love it if you were to kind of give a breakdown of your backstory, kind of led you to how success you had and get the entrepreneurial bug.
1: Mm-hmm. Yeah, so uh, it, like, I'll give everybody a, a kind of uh, in, instead of a resume-like thing, right? Give everybody yeah. a fun kind of uh, path for. So uh, it, it gives it gives people an inspiration, but also if someone like me that doesn't really much can do something, then there's a lot of opportunity for folks. So uh, I was uh, I, I was a I was you know I, I was born in India, but my and in very ordinary circumstances, uh, very. Uh, you know, very mediocre living environment, very mediocre uh, economic environment, very mediocre everything. Um, the one thing that was uh, just amazing in my life were was my parents. My parents were deeply, just deeply kind, caring, giving. They didn't want to have more than one child because they realized that they couldn't afford more than one child. And so my parents were the guiding light in my life and they just, uh, they, they, were, they are and were just awesome. But the one thing that was below par was actually me like i literally I, I kind of sucked at everything and, uh, and and what I mean by that is i was uh, I was color so I could barely you know Amen. I got an art <laughs> class <laughs> and you know i 'm tone deaf so I got kicked out of music class i would I was this young, scrawny kid, so I didn't hit my growth spurt until much later. So I got was the last to get picked on in sports, and scholastically I was like okay, you know. And and when you're in an environment where everyone's amazing, scholastically, if you're not amazing, you kind of are terrible. Mm-hmm. And so I didn't really, um, I didn't have a lot going for me at that time. So my, I remember this one day, uh, and I'll, I'll give you, a, you know, a, a vulnerable story. Like I, I used to get. Because I, because of all these things, I used, it was easy to pick on someone like me. I was the easiest kid to pick on, so I used to get picked on. The picking on, the picking on turned into bullying, and then in an, in an environment where bullying was not really normal. And um, I still remember the time when I used to, instead of walking from one class to the other class, like in middle school, I used to take the circuitous route, like around <laughs> our campus, so I wouldn't get beaten in the lockers. And and it took me, like, 20-plus years to actually share that. Like, I didn't mm. tell my parents that. I didn't tell anybody that. And I think my dad figured it out. I think my mm. dad knew that something was wrong. And uh, I'll never forget. This was probably, like, my 11th birthday, 10th or 11th birthday. And my dad, we're sitting on a park bench. And my dad said to me, he's like, you know what, Sharon, we're going to – uh, I think we're going to give you like a, a better environment to succeed. And like, if you think about it, I'm 11. Like, I don't like, what the heck does that mean? Right. right? So, so he's like, and I was like, dad, I don't know what, what you're talking about. He's like, well, you know, there's probably other places in the world that will welcome your skill sets. Yeah. And I didn't really know what that was. And I almost, you know, I was like, ah, I have feelings of abandonment here is 11. I'm 11. And I started to realize that my dad kind of knew what was up and really smart. I'd never left him. So he said, Hey, so we were sitting in front of two tennis courts and he's like, Hey, you, do you think you can, you know, it's an individual sport. Do you think you can like put all your efforts into like something like tennis? And then we use that as a ticket, a passport for you to like go do have a bigger and better life. And so at that time is when never even held a tennis racket before at that time is when we decided that I would put um, academics as secondary and I would put, you know, tennis as primary goal to get out of the country. And so we, I did that for a few years, uh, he was really focused on that, played on the pro tennis tour. And then I realized that once you play pro tennis, you can't play college tennis, which is, mm-hmm. I had no idea. And so um, we, I, I went to a small division three school in the US, uh, in Iowa called Luther college, which was very fortunate to get out. And um, my parents uh, literally didn't have a lot of money. So they gave me one check, uh, covered, they sold everything that they had, Rishi, like everything. They sold everything that they had. And they gave me, and they moved in with their, moved in with their relatives. And they gave me one check that all of the first year of school, everything like room, board, laundry, travel, all of that. And my dad said to me, Hey, here's, here's one check. This is all that we have. The next three years are on you You can make it great. If you can't make it come back and we'll take care of you. Mm -hmm. And, um, and big bet. yeah, yeah. And dude, man, I, I, uh, I was not gonna, for for what they had done, I was not going to let them down. So Um, got to the States and, and didn't, you know, even for the first week. I'll, I'll give you the one story and then we'll fire through this stuff. But the interesting story that, that I didn't have the courage to share until recently was um, I, re- I remember my first day on campus. I, I get there, I get, get there a, uh, you know, a couple of weeks earlier for orientation and all of that, and I march over to financial services. I hand them my one check. Yeah. And I was like, here's my check. And then the lady was as nice as can be. And she's like, hey, Sharon, welcome. By the way, since you know this is an international tech, it's going to take you know, a couple of weeks to clear because this was 20 years ago. Mm-hmm. And she said, here are your keys to your dorm room. But uh, as soon as it clears, all your stuff will light up, like your meal plans and your, all of that. And I said, OK, cool. Then I realized I didn't have a lot of money. like I didn't have cash. To, so yeah. I was going to have to go two weeks with no money to do anything, no job, nothing. And so i didn 't even have money for food, and so a uh, couple of days I went to every pizza party that I could you know get get, get invited to I, so I, I think I, I lived on pizza and root beer for like a couple of days and, uh, and I was like this, like what else do I do mm-hmm. and Then I was drive, walking by a dumpster one day, and uh, I saw after a pizza party like a couple of people. Like threw a couple boxes of, you know, I looked at the boxes into the dumpster and I was so hungry, hadn't eaten for a couple of days. I waited till it was sundown. I jumped in the dumpster. It was like an eight by eight dumpster. I jumped in, I grabbed these, you know, this box of leftover pizza. I run to my dorm room and I had like, you know, two and a half ish slices. And I was like, wow, you know, I can't believe I just had to do that. My parents would not believe that. Mm-hmm. And uh, so waited another couple of days, and you know, snacked on pizza for a couple of days, and then I saw a same dumpster. A couple of guys throw a big uh, subway sandwich into this dumpster, and I was like, "Wow, this is a bonanza!" And so I waited till nightfall, jumped in the dumpster, grabbed the subway sandwich, and suddenly something just smacks me on my face. And I look, and it was like it was. I, I see these two beady eyes in this dark dumpster, and it was a raccoon inside the dumpster. Oh my god! <laughs> just and, and like smacked me in the face, and like when we were, I, we were fighting over a box of pop tarts, and I so I grabbed this box of pop tarts. I grabbed this uh, subway sandwich. This is not a heroic story at all. And this is like fight or flight. I yeah. kick the, I kick the raccoon. I jump out of the dumpster. and I just run, and I'm sitting on a park bench eating a, eating a you know kind of a. Uh, 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 a Subway sandwich had been sitting there for hours uh-huh. bleeding on my left cheek and thinking, well, should I go and get a tetanus shot? Like, I, I mean, I, I didn't even know what to do. And so uh, that was when, you know, from a life lesson perspective, I, I don't, I don't, I say that now I am able to tell that story now with some grace and some, with some warmth. But the, what I learned then looking back is that, you know, stuff like that happens for a reason. And we yeah. realize we're challenged how low, how tough it can get. Yeah. And it manifested for me in that way. And I never shared that with my parents until I think I was on a podcast and I shared this and I I almost started to cry and parents still haven't talked to me about it. But I think the life lesson is, Hey, you know, if I, if that was as low as it could get, I, I will all be okay. Uh-huh. And, um, from that from that point on, I'll give you the ten seconds. I, I was able to, uh, you know, start a company in the Bay Area. We were able to raise funding during the boom, and we got a you know a nice exit. I spent five years teaching tennis around the world uh, in in the Caribbean, Dubai, and on Maui, and then I went to business school at Vanderbilt, and I uh, worked on Wall Street, Sachs and Credit Suisse for about six years, and then one of my clients at that time had invested in a small real estate company in Beverly Hills. It had. Uh, one office and 35 agents. And the company was going the wrong direction only because the the model was right, but the principals weren't getting along. Okay. And so I uh, came to help out a little bit. And then we realized that there was an opportunity there. So me and my partner um, kind of took over the business as a turnaround. We grew it from one office and 35 real estate agents to uh, 22 offices and uh, 650 real estate agents over a Five-year period, so we grew 10x in five years. We we did from a revenue perspective, 3.4 billion dollars in sales in our last year, and we were acquired by Douglas Elliman, which is a uh, pretty you know large real estate company out of uh, New York, and uh, that was about a couple of years ago. And since then, I've been spending a lot of time in the portfolio companies that I've invested in and helping them. In many well, I get to spend time in one more than another company. The couple Mm -hmm. of companies I'm spending time now in is more on the real estate and consumer technology side and lead, et cetera. That's Kingston lane. But a lot of my time is spent around helping our current investments and their CEOs succeed.
0: Nice, nice. thank you so much. Uh, first off, for being so vulnerable, sharing that story. Um, I think it's very pertinent um, in the current situation where there's so much uncertainty right now in the world, and uh, you know people going through tough situations. so I think that will give people um, perspective in the current moment. So thank you for so much for sharing that. Um, so yeah, just kind of just like break like to go down into kind of discussing uh, you know you worked so hard to get that scholarship. In tennis, just um, to see, and then you went to go teach tennis, just um, to see what translates have you, what has translated from that experience of playing tennis on, uh, on a college level, and then teaching it that has translated to business and many other areas of your life.
1: Awesome, um, great, great question. Not, not a lot of people ask that, so super insightful. The I tell you that, um, if you took away my. Uh, so two, two things come to mind. If you took away my tennis teaching experience, I literally would probably would not be able to do 90% of what I do today. And that's a, that's a big statement, right? Like, yeah. And the average person thinks that, oh yeah, you know, you're, you're an average tennis teaching pro. But the interesting part was that I was actually a part of a, a tennis consulting company. And I found a mentor there who was a, who was one of the best tennis teaching pros in the world. And he told me that unless I teach, um, one hundred private lessons, not get paid for it, and have it critiqued while I'm teaching it. Mm-hmm. I don't, I don't understand the sport, and I was like, I've played tennis at a high level. I get this just fine, and he says, "Well, teaching it has got nothing to do with playing. It's completely different." And I didn't really understand. So I, I Rishi, I'm not joking. I actually taught one hundred unpaid lessons and had him, um critique like watch and critique and so what you realize pretty quickly is you know he called it this you, you did something called the analytical eye so I'm at a point now where I can walk by a park like park and rec tennis court I can see four people playing right for fun mm-hmm. and I can hear them hit a ball and I can tell you how to fix whatever they're doing in seconds well wow. uh so I like I remember um, I, I, was on a, I had a bet with a guy at a bar in like a couple of years ago, and he's like, oh, I've been working on my tennis game for a while. I've talked to every single teaching pro in the world and every single resort, and they can't fix my serve. And I was like I, – I told him, I was like, hey, I'll, I can fix your serve in five minutes. I've never even hit senior hit a ball. And he goes, it's impossible. And I said, okay, if I, can't, if I can't fix your serve, you choose whatever you want me to do. So he said, if you can't fix my serve, you owe me ten grand." I said, done. And I said, well, if, but if I can fix your serve, then you're going to tell everybody how cool I am. Mm-hmm. And and so it literally took us maybe three minutes. And I said to him, I was like, hey, do you want me to wait till the end of the hour before I share this with you? Or should I just fix it for you right now? And what I learned, what I'm, sh- what I'm sharing that Rishi, is the, you realize pretty quickly the power of this analytical eye where when you can see something and you can instantly know instinctively in your blood, in your bones, what needs to get done, what needs to get fixed. And you have now the ability to communicate that. It's super powerful. Right? Mm-hmm. It's just super powerful. And I think that, uh, that's what driven me a lot where now I can, uh, you know, I can look at the portfolio companies that I've, we have invested in and I can say, wow, I, I see what Rishi's doing. I know, like, I know exactly because I know it so quickly yeah. that I can say, Hey, you know, I, I, I see it. I can't tell you what's wrong. I can see it. But I now I have to explain it to uh, two founders in a very thoughtful way. And so that's been like a really great gift. So I've loved the aspect of kind of learning the analytical eye, if you will. That, yeah. was, the, that was a huge, huge lesson for me. And the second is I also learned that when you teach something, you get to learn it twice. I think I learned. Okay. I think I think I heard that from uh, Jim Quake or someone like that. But he said when you teach something, like a lot of people, like good entrepreneurs, make good decisions, and great entrepreneurs tell you why they made mm-hmm. those decisions, right? Like it's super power. It's the kind of meta, but yeah, everyone is like, hey, you know, Rishi's a good entrepreneur. Let's hear what he says. And then all of these entrepreneurs talk about what they did, but they never talk about why. Yeah. And that translation is, that's like, you and I want to hear why Elon did what he did, why Bill Gates did what he did, why Steve Jobs did what he did. And all we see is all these biographies of, well, look at these, look at the series and the timeline of accomplishments. We don't see the why. Yeah. And, and, and for me, it's become a, you know, a, a path forward of, I want to be super vulnerable and say, well, this is why I made this decision. And. It, it does two things, right? One, it allows me to be grounded in why I made it. And two, yeah. it allows me to communicate to someone else saying, well, maybe they can take that as a framework and kind of install that in their, in their business and in their life in some way. So the, the teaching experience really, really taught me that you fall in love with, you know, learning so deeply that you know it in your bones. Yeah. And that's when you truly get mastery.
0: Yeah, I think that that's so true. I think it's taking it down to like you in the way you're describing it, like first principles thinking and just knowing that on deepening so you can calculate this step to the, that next step to the next step appropriately.
1: Yeah, to- totally. And I and that's why I think, you know, like, for example, um, if, if I get resumes, the former people like there are a few there are a few folks that I always always interview in, in, in any anytime I get a, res, a resume of someone that has one of these skill sets I always interview them right so okay. if anyone has had any kind of uh, sport coaching experience. Like I always want to talk to them. If anyone has any kind of, um, elementary school or middle school teaching experience, like I always want to talk to them. If anyone else has any music, uh, kind of music teaching experience, cause you're teaching a skill. Like I always want to talk to them. If anyone has his military experience. I always want to talk to them because the military is all about learning and teaching and learning and teaching. I just love the I love the concept of kind of being a student and being a teacher, being a student and being a teacher, being a student, being, I think that evolution is what really gets us to be better. So I, all, I actually believe that you and I have a responsibility to be teachers yeah. because that, that, that helps us make, that helps us become better students so we can then become better teachers to become better students, right? So I'm a big fan of the teacher-student cycle. Mm-hmm.
0: I think uh, it's very, very powerful information. So taking that, uh, what you said, and then the analytical eye, moved into very different industries—from tech to tennis to finance to now real estate—to uh, various different industries. So, did you have private knowledge going into each of these categories, or, and if you didn't, kind of how did you decipher a mind, the mind approaching to get knowledgeable in those areas?
1: Yeah, great question. So, like zero experience, right? No, no background whatsoever. Um, all these opportunities were accidents, uh, and I've noticed that a lot of entrepreneurs, like even you and I were talking talking offline, you're like, hey, I got this idea. I want to branch off to go do this because I really believe in it. A lot of this just comes. Uh, been on a collection of experiences, and and a lot of times just by accident, right? You fall into stuff because of ac- by accident, and then you say, "Hey, do I want to do this or do I not?" Yeah. So had no experience in any of it, but I'll tell you what I did. Uh, my anytime I enter a new field or a new business or a new industry, the one thing that I, I like to do again, this is all very personal and Sharon centric, is uh, I will go and find an an expert in that field and just write them a check to coach me. And what I want to do is I just want to download, uh, their sensibilities, right? Like the reason why, so when I got in the real estate business, I just literally Googled, you know, top real estate coach. I saw the four or five searches that came up. I, you know, interviewed the four or five of them, picked one and then just paid him money and said, Hey, I don't want you to teach me the how I want you to teach me like the why you make your decisions, what you know about, like, I want the sensibilities because then I'm going to be faced with something in this industry. And I just want, and I call it, you know, the the decade into a day. Right. I want Mm -hmm. to, want you to download a decade worth of experience. I just want you to download it for me in a day. And, and that literally requires a full immersive day or two days. And so I actually have realized, Rashid, that like when I pay for stuff, like a lot of times people will pay for, you know, Hey, I'm going to hire a business coach. Like I mentor a bunch of CEOs right now and that's cool. But I, all my experience when it starts with them, I like to do a full day. I call it a a CEO day or a power day. And I think the, when you, when you start at nine o'clock and at about two o'clock, you start to really start to model how that person starts to think about the world. Mm -hmm. And that's, what's really cool. The one hour every week or every other week is interesting. And that's good for quite maintenance and problem solving, but not for immersive kind of sensibility transfer. And so I, I'll, I'll, you know, so I, I hired my favorite thing to do is I have no qualms about entering a new industry. I just say, Hey, I can enter any new industry at any time. All it takes is for me to earn, get the sensibilities in this industry. Who can I go find that knows this really well? I'll go write them a check, spend a couple of days with them and ask them every question that I know. And they feel, they don't feel, they feel karmically obligated because I wrote them a check. It's not a, Hey, can I pick your brain type conversation? And so that download has like, I've done that in every single, every single time I want to go into something new. Uh, uh, my favorite thing is just to hire a paid mentor or paid coach to go get a, you know, a decade into a call it almost a decade into a day. And mm-hmm. once I have that, that person knows that I'm serious. So yep. they open their Rolodex up to saying, okay, Sharon wrote me a check for $30,000. He spent two days with me or a day with me. I showed him everything that I know. And now when he has a question and he wants some help, I'm happy to make connections and introductions, et cetera, because there's this karmic loop that's kind of built. So my easiest, my my recommendation is uh, always think you're excited about and the opportunity learning about that mechanics of that industry can be accomplished pretty quickly if you could just write a check.
0: That's that's very, very good advice. So I'd like to just transition that and take it into Kingston Lane and kind of what is Kingston Lane trying to achieve and you know what is it?
1: Yeah. So, so Kings is one of our businesses right now, which is uh, it's built to help real estate agents um, in around the world work on um, kind of lead generation and lead conversion. So this essentially helps them automate things that it just manually to do. Mm-hmm. And the goal is how can you put nurture on autopilot? Given that a lot of times people are spending a lot of time, time and money generating leads. Mm-hmm. How can you put that on autopilot? But more importantly, my my kind of love for all of this is in, uh, like, I, what I've noticed, Rishi. It's got nothing to do with the product itself, mm-hmm. and and what I've noticed is, um, I, you, and I invest in a lot of products and services. You and I yep. have, buy a lot of software, but what i the, the, the software and the services and the tools that I use the most are the ones that invest in the philosophical and mechanical education around using that the most. Mm-hmm. And so like, I'll give you a very simple example. Like I use a email marketing uh, system called active campaign, uh, mm-hmm. you know, just, you know, just like HubSpot or whatever. And it, it is what it is. And I got introduced to it. We use it in our stuff The but the tool is pretty powerful, but there's no different than what many other tools can do. But what I have found is they're they have this, you know, office hour thing. They have this, they have this, you know, kind of like, training days they have uh great support they have an awesome facebook group i've noticed that the ecosystem of helping people go deeper into their into the experience of kind of how you use something is way more powerful than the product itself and some people will invest in it and some people won't i'm the kind of guy that will you know, watch 10 webinars before I buy a product mm-hmm. because now when I buy it, I'm already a super user as opposed yep. to then, then light up support for no reason. So, um, my f- kind of philosophical understanding is how do I, how do I translate that into anything that I do? So leading kind of with the, how do I train? How do I teach? How do I deliver that first? And then based on that, you can, you know, you can give them any tool as a solution, if you will.
0: Mm-hmm. And, and was that the the key insight that let you into starting Kingston Lane and saying, this isn't available in the real estate, real estate industry, and I'm going to go and go into it. Or what was that insight?
1: Yeah, the insight was exactly that. The insight was, you know, having run a real estate business before I saw the pain that they Mm -hmm. were facing. And so it was almost pain based, but I'll tell you, you know, as a, as a founder of several businesses, whatever you think the pain is early on, just is not the pain there's that's that's just the first or second or third layer of the pain that you see mm-hmm. and so the the more you dig is when you start to realize oh my gosh like, like i may have missed this uh, and then you have to, that's when you have to have the courage to pivot and be like okay i started with this that's got to change I started with this that's got to change so uh yeah the original idea was hey i saw a very mechanical pain and then was can we build a solution to solve that pain and having a very deep focus on saying, hey, what is the pain? Can you actually articulate the pain? And then can you articulate the to all of the pain, which is our promise, but can you be disconnected enough emotionally from that to being open to realize that that pain can change, that you may have not seen something, you may not have seen the forest from the trees, and can you pivot to know that, hey, I may have to change what I'm offering? So we've gone through a lot of pivots, and that's mm-hmm. only because having the courage to say, okay, okay. Uh, I'm a founder. I have to say this idea is what I thought it was. I built a product. Oh crap. I think there's a deeper problem here. Can I pivot my solution to address that? Oh, there's a deeper. And then you keep going. And once you get to like the deepest possible core of it, I think that's when you, that's when you realize you've hit something good.
0: Yeah, no, I, I totally agree with that. Uh, so often they say um, a good founder uh, has some controversy, controversial uh, opinions relative to the industry they're involved. So, what's one myth that you'd like to dispel in the real estate industry that's popular, popularly told?
1: Yeah, totally. I, I think this is not just in real estate, but I I believe that this is a uh, uh, you know because I I see myself less less being in the real estate industry and more being in the consumer facing world um, because I always try to anchor around it's not who you're serving, but it's who is it that your clients are serving, yeah. right? And, and if you can connect with that, then you can help who you're serving, right? Mm-hmm. So my clients are serving consumers, you know, in, in calling the real estate world. The, the modern world has talked about uh, lead generation being, everything right just mm-hmm. it's all about it's all about lead it's all about lead sources it's all about new lead platforms it's all about new lead market is all about oh you know kind of what is your cost per impressions and cost per lead it's all about your lead acquisition map it's all about kind of like hey as soon as you get a lead they call it speed to lead is how fast can you connect with this lead how fast can you convert this lead and it's to the point where like people actually say, well, you know what, I'm going to put them, I'm going to get this lead. Then I'm going to squeeze this lead. And once I get the lead, I'm going to put that into my 10 days of pain sequence where I, you know, they either buy or die. And I'm like, that's so crazy that you would treat people that way. Mm-hmm. And, and so I, I don't believe in quote the the kind of, I call it the lead junkie deal monkey philosophy. Mm-hmm. And, and a lot of us selling product services, et cetera, are in a very, Hey, I'm going to get, it's, it's kind of the one lead, one deal mentality. Hey, I got a lead that lead didn't buy. Therefore that's a bad lead. I got mm-hmm. a lead that lead didn't buy. Therefore that's a bad. So the one lead, one deal mentality. What I think differently is what I've, you know, it, it's kind of build a list and serve the list it's mm-hmm. the, the hey how can i get as many people that will raise their hand as possible and say i am kind of interested in what rishi's doing kind mm-hmm. of it not not directly not right now i'm kind of interested in okay awesome i'm going to opt in in some way great now i'm building the list mm-hmm. and then how do i serve this list every single day how do i invite you know how do i tell stories how do i share case studies how do i st- and then allow people to you invite them to buy as opposed to pushing down the sale yeah and and for me it is you know it, it's just like how how big can I build a list so that when I send out one email or when I do one Facebook post or when I do one Instagram post that my, I can do it with so much grace and kindness that I don't have to sell. I can just tell a story and say, hey, if this is of interest to you, just hit reply and I'll get you the details. That's way better mm-hmm. than saying, click here and like I'm going to drop you into a funnel. Yeah. And, and everybody can smell a funnel from like 14 miles away. So I'm not the lead generation and a lead generation and gauntlet series and 10 days of pain and email conversion kind of guy. I'm more the, Hey, someone's going to opt in. I want to build clients for life. Can I build nurture for life? And can I just build a list and serve a list every single day? And so my entire job is what I, what I kind of teach is, Hey, the goal is to build a list and serve the list because the way someone connects with you, the way they come into your world and how they choose to buy is more important than how fast they bought. Because, because that person is now ha- is a client for life as opposed to you just burn and churn them through your quote online funnel. Yes, you got a sale out of it and now you've got this funnel math and that's interesting, but you're going to having to always just burn all the time. And I just, I just don't want to live that life of burning and churning my list all the time. So I would say don't be a lead junkie, deal monkey, but yeah, build a list and serve the list kind of person.
0: I think that's that's some great great advice for the long term. I think always building for the long term and relationships and businesses and products is always the right way. So, um, so just kind of thinking about the long term a little bit um, and the current situation economically we're in, and you're you're involved with various portfolio companies, your own companies, um, kind of what's your particular outlook on the economy for the next 12 to 18 months? Like what what's your read on everything?
1: Yeah, a good question. The, the interesting part is right. So I am um, the, the two questions that I don't that I that I get asked often that I, I don't really have a good answer for is one, uh, what do you think is going to happen, <laughs> right? And and the second question is, well, uh, you know, what should I do to navigate it? Those, you know, you get that asked often, and literally, I, I will tell you, those these are very bio individual uh, because what do I think is going to happen? I think that's, and I've been through the. I've been through three crises or three quote recessions, if you will, 90, 96, 97 currency crisis. I've been through like the you know, 2001, 2000, com stuff where I had our first, and then I've been through 2008 while I was in uh, financial services. So I've seen a lot of the pain. Mm-hmm. And I literally, like Rishi, I have no idea. Like mm-hmm. I, I, don't, I don't know. And, and I think a lot of people that profess that they do know it, 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 it is, it comes from a filter of some sort that they have of an experience that they've been in. So I'll tell you what I – I am what I believe, right? What I believe is that um, one, I I am only listening to folks uh, for their opinion and their perspective where what opinion they give they use directly in their business. And here's what I mean by that. So if there is a, Uh, let's just take a talking head on TV. If a talking head on TV is talking about, you know, where the economy is going to be in 12 to 18 months, that's interesting to me. And I don't care because tomorrow that talking head could come back and change position on it and it doesn't affect their job and or life in any way. But uh, for example, I, I worked at Goldman Sachs and I know that when Goldman puts out research, I'm not affiliated with the company in any way. I know that when Goldman puts out research, they actually make, they base their economic models and what they're going to do as a business Mm -hmm. based on their own research. And so when someone, if Goldman is coming out and saying these three things are going to happen, they're at least saying, well, we believe that these three things are going to happen and these are the bets we're making on those predictions. And I I appreciate that because now their research, they're actually eating their own dog food, right? And I I think of that significantly. So I I, I read a lot of Goldman research uh, and that way it at least keeps me focused on, you know, thinking through one set of uh, things, how it happened that way. The second Person that I, I'm listening to a lot right now is uh, Ray Dalio, who founded Bridgewater, yeah. uh, the largest hedge fund in the world. I think Ray does a great job of laying out what the what the economies look like, et cetera. And so those two people are the ones that are listening to. So if you ask me what's going to happen with the world, I just think we're in we're we're in very historic times. I think the world's going to change the way in which a consumer reacts in some way. The one thing I do believe that's going to happen is we are not going to be the way we make decisions on how to buy, how to invest, how to live our lives is going to be centered around a single emotion, which is safety. Safety is going to be a very, normally it was, Hey, I have an opportunity. Hey, I'm doing, I'm going to do something. I'm going to make a decision based on how cool she is or how great his presentation was or how fancy the features are in this car. But I think a lot of what we are going to see going forward is safety. And so for example, if you are an insurance broker and you're listening to the show and you're like, how do I actually sell my, you know, how do I actually advise my clients this way? They're actually going to make more decisions on whether they feel safe with you or don't feel safe with you. I actually believe that you're going to see anything from products and services, having safe colors of like warm and comforting stuff. I believe that language is going to be more safety oriented to make the sale. If a consumer right now feels safe, they will buy stuff. And And so if you in any way are trying to promote confidence with somebody, it is not saying I'm number one in this. I'm number one in that. It's more saying, Hey, here are how these products actually, you know, help decrease your stress, stress, help increase your joy, help protect you on the downside. I think a safety emotion is going to be very prevalent in the short, short to medium term of how people are going to make decisions. And uh, it, it's it's so so if you if you're writing copy if you're putting out sales messages if you're doing calls if you're trying to sell stuff if you're just just want just audit your own emotions where if you want to help have better relationships with friends family loved ones everybody is you know uh, skating on thin ice and they're just feelings of the world so the more safety we can kind of inject into people's lives the better we're going to kind of come out on the other side so easiest sales pitch right now is just, you know, install safety and you'll, you'll see a lot more conversions, which is, which is my, my, my big thought around this.
0: Yeah. Thank you. I think that's a, that's a very keen insight into the current situation. So I just like to move into the final questions. Uh, so with each of our guests, we like to dive into habits, rituals, routines um, that, that allow them to be successful on a day-to-day, week-to-week basis. So if there's any particular routine rituals that kind of come up to you that you've you, you hold this precious that you know make a big impact in your life. I would love you to explore that a little bit with the audience.
1: Yeah, totally. So um, there is, you know, we are what we repeatedly do, right? So uh, it's, that's definitely true. So I'll give you a couple of quick thoughts. The first one is I've realized that um, the way I start my day is the way I live my life and the, how people start the days are important and so it doesn't matter whether you're an early riser whether you're a later riser whether you're a night owl whatever i just believe that uh, we should crawl our our mornings in some and because we are hopefully rested we are hopefully focused and the morning time right when we wake up our body want our body and our minds and our spirits want to do stuff to push the ball forward we're better most most of us are better off in the morning than having worked a full day so what i do is i uh, about four years ago, I run. I started this thing called a 5 a.m. club. Uh, had no reference to anything else. I just started it. It was. Um, I had some health issues at that time, and one. And my doctor told me, "Hey, Sean, if you wake up earlier, you'll live longer, based on your health numbers, et etc." So I had. I got three of my best friends on a call every morning at 5 a.m. Well, those three people invited three more. Invited three more, and essentially, it's a five-minute call. A five-minute regular conference call where the audience doesn't speak. I'm the one that speaks, but it's five minutes at 5 a.m. Pacific time where I just to kick people into gear and call it a morning espresso, if you will, on words, tell a story, whatever. It's three to five minutes every morning. Uh, Today, there are over 6,000 entrepreneurs on the call that wake up at five for five minutes at 5 a.m. I have a couple members of Congress on the call. Um, You know, several, most of them are CEOs and business owners. I have a one, uh, a billionaire on the call, Um, have an NFL player on the call. So it's, you don't hear any of them, but all you hear is a great message. So every morning when I wake up, I, you know, I've been doing this for four plus years now. It's five minutes at 5 a.m. So it's called the 5 a.m. club, 5amclub.net, Club.net. hundred percent free to everybody. There will never be a charge and uh, so I, I start every seven days a week, three hundred and sixty five days a year, call it christmas new year 's hanukkah whatever mm-hmm. and and so the goal is to make sure that everybody knows that they have one anchor in their they can depend on hey, regardless of what happens, I know that at 4:59 a.m. Pacific time I can dial into this call and there will message to kick off my day regardless of where i am in the world regardless of when it is i think it resets it gives you an anchor every single day and um it's been it's been pretty powerful for me so i do it every single uh, which has been awesome so if, if you guys are listening don't we have about 6000 people registered about a 1000 people come on the call at this point every single day and it's it's haphazard but um it's, it's been a really good kind of anchor in my day. So if not Incredible. anything else, I'd say just consider, consider that and you can join for free and you can check it out and all of that mm-hmm. good stuff. So 5amclub.net. The second thing that I do is um, uh, my dad taught me this and he said, you know, y- we should create tomorrow today. I really like that. He's like, so I remember when I was a child. He would sit down after dinner, uh, you know. We had a one-bedroom apartment. He would sit down after dinner on the dining table. He had this little leather-ridged notebook, if you will, a journal, and he would put tomorrow's date on a new page, and he would just write down a list of things that he was going to accomplish tomorrow. And, and he called it, you know, the "You can create tomorrow today." And it's a really cool mind hack. And so, every night before I go to bed, I just sit down. And I, I, I do it probably 90% of the time. And I sit down and I say, well, all right, how do I create tomorrow? So I create my day the next day, I review my calendar, and I say, hey, these are the things that I'm gonna get done tomorrow. I almost make a commitment saying, these are my non-negotiables of what I'm gonna get done tomorrow. And, and after I've done that, I put everything away for the night. Way when I let that kind of integrate, if you will, into the, into the body and the consciousness. And tomorrow when I come back, I've already pre-won the day, right? And so, <laughs> Um, I try to do that every single day and that's the way I end my day. And, uh, the 5am club is the way I start my day. And hopefully whatever happens in between is a result of how you've set your day up. Mm -hmm. And so, uh, I take a lot of in, in doing that. So those are, if, if I could share the gift of any, any two rituals, it would be how you start your day is how you live your life. And you can also create tomorrow today. That way you don't, you know, you you don't just react, but you've actually created what you're going to do.
0: I think that's uh, amazing advice and I think a lot of people, the audience will be excited to join uh, the 5am club. So just moving on to the next question. uh, What does uh, personal care mean to you? How much does personal care factor into your success and what you do on a day to day basis?
1: yeah and I, I think people take a lot of this for kind of granted i, I the The world has promoted this hustle based kind of culture. They say you need to hustle more, you need to grind more and I always think that you know the hustle and grind will leave you tired and resentful mm-hmm. uh, I'm not a hustling grind i mean I work my face off i, I work sixteen hour days and all of that i don't I'm not a kickback because I think driven people are just driven people yeah I, but i I think it's important for all of us to know how we need to kind of rejuvenate how we need to un- 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 unwind. I'll tell you something very simple. My wife, uh, my wife's an introvert and she, the, the way she recharges is she just needs time alone. So when my wife on a weekend will tell me, hey, I need to make an, I need to make an errand and I need to run to Target, I'd be like, hey, I'll go. Right. And then, or I'll say, hey, why don't we all go as a family with the kids? And then she'll look at me and she'll say, I, need the time. I need to go make a run to Target. Yep. I'm like, okay. So, so she's very clear that her time alone, her time doing her thing just, you know, recharges her. And it took me a long time in our marriage to realize that because I would just keep pushing time together with her because I'm an extrovert. Like I enjoy it. Like I want to be family all the time, but I didn't realize that she needed that time. And I think it's super, it's super important. So uh, the the fastest way that we can get awareness of what it like what we need is, is super important. So I'll tell you what I need, right? Like the one thing I need is I need, um, to create, uh, if I don't create on any given day basis, it, it's really, I feel like, uh, I, I feel unfulfilled that day. When I say create, I mean that, uh, not creating a piece of content. I mean, I need to, I need to do some, I need to build or create something. I need to be creative where, I need to create something that did not exist before meaning I need to write something I need to build something I need to draw something I need to create a framework I need to I need to literally manifest something into the world using the creative juices in my life that did not exist yesterday. To me, that gives me an insane amount of joy. So I, I actually have this time where I say, you know, I, I create before I react. So I don't check my email. Like I need to create something in my day before I could day, or I need to create something at the end of my day. I need to create something before I actually, uh, to feel alive. And so for me, my self-care is a lot of creation. I just, if I can get some time to create something, I feel good. And a lot of people be like, why are you doing that? And I said, well, that's my way of like living into a better life. That's my way of self-care. Like that's super important for me. Um, the other thing that I, I you know, I, I love people, like I love to sleep. Uh, for me, sleep is super important. And um, I will, naps are really interesting for me uh, on the weekends. If I, like I have a deal with my, my family that on the weekends, they don't wake me up. On the weekends I actually have, on Saturday, I actually have some one that covers the 5 a.m. club for me. You can just sleep in and I only wake up when I wake up with no alarm. So that's kind of like my self-care, if you will. So who you know like three or four things that really rejuvenate you? Like I know that if I can just sleep no alarm, like I'm totally re- replenished, rejuvenated, re-energized. So I know that sleep and creation are very important for me. So anytime that I'm feeling down, stressed, um, you know, just beaten down by life or beaten down by the surroundings, beaten down by the environment, if I can create... And if I can sleep, uh, good things happen. Like if I work out, I get more stress. Mm-hmm. So uh, that's just me personally. But my wife is different. So to me, the way I reset is to create and and rest. And as soon as you somebody can figure out how they kind of replenish their reserves, uh, the, the faster you know how to you know how to be in peak performance all the time.
0: Yeah, I think that's uh, very very pertinent information and I think, uh, you know, sleep is really important. You wouldn't be surprised. You'd be surprised the amount of times on this podcast when you've asked that question, the top performers say the same thing. Sleep uh, is a big factor. So uh, definitely in conjunction with that. So two quick questions. Um, So what's something new that you're obsessed with? That's just new in your life that you've recently kind of discovered.
1: So the one, which is really crazy. And I think I love anything that's new that, other people can utilize as well. So the, the thing that I've kind of happened upon that's newer in my life is I happened upon this app called uh, masterclass uh-huh. and I am so totally obsessed with it. I love it because it is a, it is the best, like I think it goes to the story that I shared about going and finding a mentor or a coach in the industry and having them download their entire life's work onto you. I, this app, I think it's called Masterclass. I think it's, it's not expensive. Uh, it's, you know, nine bucks a month or something like that. But you get unlimited masterclasses from these experts. So I'll give you a very simple story. Uh, one of my favorite authors is Malcolm Gladwell. I love Malcolm Gladwell. I love his writing. I totally resonate with the storytelling. I want to be like Malcolm Gladwell. And he did a masterclass on storytelling and writing. Like I literally, and it's all five-minute videos, five-minute segments. And I just sat there and just watched him tell stories about telling stories. And so you can... There's so many quote masterclasses by the top experts in their fields, just sharing and downloading, kind of their decades into minutes. You can just get it in bite-sized sections, and so it's been a, it's been it's been a, a total kind of you know uh, shot in the arm for me. So I love it's a new thing that I found. It, it's almost never-ending content, but it's all focused on the best of the best telling you how they do it, and I'm a, I'm a total sucker for that stuff.
0: That's that's fantastic. I got to check that out for sure. Um, So, final question. Um, It's been a real pleasure to have you on the podcast. The audience has taken a lot of inspiration, insights, etc. But uh, the last question: if 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 listeners wanted to connect with you, where can they do online? How can they reach out to you to kind of get more information?
1: Yeah, totally. So, uh, you know, uh, it's easy to find me online, but I like to kind of lead with lead with a gift of sorts. So, uh, I'll tell you what I did about uh, when we're living in unprecedented times right now. So uh, during, you know, we're recording this during the COVID crisis. Mm-hmm. I did a, um, I did uh, my entire network. I did something called a two week MBA. Essentially it was a 10 minute call every single day, you know, essentially 10 calls for over two weeks. And I said that I was going to take, my 20 years of experience and and actually delivered as a two week MBA, like a real practical two week MBA. So it was, it was just 10 minute calls for 10 days. And, um, I didn't, I didn't share the calls. They were all live. I had them recorded and i never shared them with the publics, but, um, people have been asking for it. So I actually created a very simple sequence where you can go get this two week MBA. It's a, it's totally free. It's, it's two So that number two week just go. It's totally free. There's no ads. There's no funnel. There's nothing. It's essentially a summary of the calls that I did along with the direct links to live 10 minute calls on essentially the, you know, 20 years of it it's distilled into 10 into 10, 10 minute phone calls. And you can just pick and choose. And so I just, uh, that's my gift to everybody. So it's twoweekmba.com. Just go there and you'll, you can kind of opt in and get everything uh, that I did during that time.
0: Yeah. And I'll put that all in the show notes as well. So everybody can, if they want to check it out, they can do that. So um, it's been a real pleasure having you on the pot, on the podcast. Uh, thank you for taking the time out. Um, and this has been great.
1: Awesome, man. Hey, uh, everybody should realize that this takes a lot of effort to do. Again, want to acknowledge you and thank you for putting on this, reaching out, making sure this all happened and for what you're doing for the world. So thanks for having me. And uh, uh, this this has been awesome.
0: Appreciate that. Thank you.